0: Yeah. Three days later, I got sick. I can assure you that if you're one of the hundred or so people I've shaken hands with, I'm no longer contagious. But I must tell you that, uh, well, I should tell you this. Drain leaned over a few minutes ago and she said, are you going to tell him you're not really feeling that well? And I said, I don't know, should I? And she said, well, just tell him your ears are plugged up. And I said, what? And she said, yeah. <laughs> Woo. Wow. So in light of that, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. John Chapter Twenty Mary Magdalene was not always a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a woman with a checkered past. It might interest you to know that her name actually means rebellious one. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of Mark and in one of the parallel passages in Luke chapter eight that Jesus cast eight Demons, or rather, seven demons out of her. And so, Mary Magdalene was a woman who, at one time, was dead in trespasses and sins. She once followed the course of this world, following after the prince of the power of the air. At one time, Mary Magdalene lived according to her flesh and surrendered all of her inclinations of her will to what was only evil. She was a child of wrath. She was an enemy of God. But the scripture tells us that Mary Magdalene became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Mary Magdalene was probably not a woman who would be covered in an e Hollywood story. She is probably not a woman who is going to be interviewed on Fox News. Rather, her past marked her. Yet, and this is a huge yet, Mary Magdalene chose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we we find her at the, the foot of the cross. We find her at the entrance of the tomb. And we met her once again last week and we learned that she along with her friend were among the first to arrive at the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, she must have been exhausted since she, if you will remember, ran to tell Peter and John that the stone had been rolled away. And now, she has finally caught up with them again and is at the tomb. What do we find her doing? We find Mary, as she has run back to the tomb, weeping before the tomb. Still, we recognize that no doubt she is grieving, not only because... The Lord Jesus Christ had died, but because she thinks that someone has compromised the body. Someone has stolen the body. I wonder this morning, if you would think through this with me, if any of you can relate to Mary Magdalene. I wonder if you can relate to her faith as she came back to the mouth of the tomb weeping profusely. Her Savior is dead. She thinks that someone has stolen the body. Mary Magdalene, you see, had a struggling faith. And faith, you see, is, is always in flux. One day it's up, another day it's down. Faith experiences its ups and downs as we experienced last week, in especially the lives of John and Peter. Faith is strong on one day. It's resolute. But on other days, it leaves us tired and worn out. Simply put, faith is not always a mountaintop experience. I know if you're like me, there are some days when you grow tired and weary, and you may be even filled with doubt. Some of you may have come this morning and feel like quitting the race altogether. I think you would also agree that faith endures a series of seasons throughout our lifetime. Solomon understood the different kinds of challenges that life throws at us. You remember his words in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh Weathers the storms of life which confront each of us on a daily basis. But sometimes faith wavers. Do you understand that? Sometimes faith wavers when finances get tight. Sometimes faith worries when you don't get accepted to the school of your dreams. Sometimes faith wanders when a precious loved one dies. Sometimes faith... Wonders aloud when the job offer never comes through. Sometimes faith grows weary when your health takes a turn for the worse. And some days you grow fearful and just simply refuse to believe the promises of God. Yet on other days, your faith is big and bold and believes the great promises in God's Word. And what I've learned throughout the Christian journey is the same lesson that you've learned is is faith is something like a, a roller coaster at the amusement park. Well, in the passage before us, I want to take a closer look, and it is a fascinating look, at Mary Magdalene's faith. And I want you to to see what you can learn and to, to take the kinds of things that you can draw from, to emulate the kinds of things in her faith and to cast aside the things that should not be in your life. One of the things that I appreciate about the Word of God is its total transparency. There are times in the Word of God when it is absolutely, brutally honest. And it reveals the struggles that normal people face In the uphill climb of faith. You see, the Bible doesn't hide any of the the gruesome details about life. And this passage that we will read together is no exception. And so, would you stand with me as we read in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11? And this is the word of the Lord. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' And she said to them, "'They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him.' Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener? (laughs) Chuckle, chuckle. (laughs) She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the stunning amount of transparency that's in your word. Thank you for this woman who was numbered among the first to uh, arrive at the empty tomb, and as we will see the, the reactions that ensued. We thank you for all that her faith endured. We thank you for your great mercy and patience uh, that you, uh, you showed toward her. We thank you f- that you show that same mercy and grace and patience toward us. And so, Father, I pray especially today for the weak and the timid and the marginalized that you would lift them up, that you would encourage someone today, that we would leave uh, this house of worship better equipped and, and more encouraged to live the Christian life, all because of this great example that we find in this little narrative. For it's in your son's worthy name we pray. Amen. Maybe may be seated. Well, the title of the message this morning is The Faith Continuum. And that's exactly where we find the faith of Mary Magdalene. We see her vacillating in her faith, and it is a faith that is on this continuum from the conflicted to the confident. You see, the, the faith of Mary Magdalene... I believe, is a saving faith. But it's on the continuum where there's wrestling and pain and sorrow and doubt, but it moves forward to what I like to refer to as a confident faith. I think that if you are honest, that if you're brutally honest with yourself, that you will see yourself as somewhat of a Mary Magdalene. That you will see that you too walk through the Christian life with seasons that are filled with confliction, but also with seasons that are filled with great confidence. And most likely, there are several steps in between. One writer says it like this He says, Our faith is one of brutal tensions. And I want to take time this morning to look honestly at those faith tensions in the life of Mary Magdalene. And in the process, I want to challenge you to come to grips with what's facing you in your faith and to ultimately see how God can use a struggling person for His glory. If you are struggling this morning, if your faith is weak and tiny and timid and small and frustrated, if you're here this morning and are wrestling and feel like you're uh, among the frail ones, this message is for you. Which is to say this message is for all of us. I want you to see how God can use a person with a small faith, with a timid faith, with a conflicted and struggling faith, that he could use a person like you to make a massive difference in the kingdom of God. The faith continuum begins to unfold in John chapter 20, verse 11. There are really only two major points to this sermon. And the first is this. I want you to see Mary Magdalene's conflicted faith. Mary Magdalene's conflicted faith. Whenever our faith is conflicted, you will see that you'll find yourself wrestling with things like doubt and anxiety and hopelessness and loneliness and unanswered questions and a host of things that can best be categorized as having a conflicted faith. Now, to be clear, the person in this setting, most notably Mary Magdalene, the person with the conflicted faith, possesses a saving faith. But because we live in a fallen world, that faith is battered and bruised along the way in our journey as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I've already indicated, Mary Magdalene must have been absolutely shot. She must have been absolutely exhausted since she ran to tell Peter and John if the running wasn't enough, it was the fact that she had seen the empty tune. She had seen this empty tomb and had run to tell her friends that the stone had been rolled away. They booked in front of her, if you remember from last week, and went to find the empty tomb to see it for themselves. Now she has caught up with them and is once again at the tomb. And we find her overwhelmed with discouragement. She is overwhelmed with discouragement. And I find it fascinating as I read through verses 11 to 15 that the word weeping occurs not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. I think this is significant and I think it merits a closer look. The word weeping that is found four times in this specific set of verses comes from a Greek word that means to cry loudly. I battled back and forth, and I should have asked my wife because she would have the definitive answer on this, but I didn't know if I should call it this or not. And I'm going to call it this. This is what most of you would refer to as the ugly cry. You know what the ugly cry is? That's the cry when a child... It's one thing to cry like boo-hoo-hoo. The ugly cry is the... That's the ugly cry. That's what's going on here. She is wailing loudly. The word weeping does not express the the anguish, the hopelessness that Mary Magdalene is feeling here. This is a term that's found in the New Testament at least 40 times. It's translated in various ways, like weeping and mourning and tears. And usually, when we come across the term weeping... It's usually found in the context of death. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw a commotion. And because a girl had died, people were weeping. And this expresses it a little bit better, wailing loudly. you see the ugly cry? They're wailing loudly. They're emotionally distraught. In Acts 9, a woman had died. Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they looked to the upper room, and all the windows stood beside him. The widows stood beside him, weeping, wailing, showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. You see, we see this term weeping throughout the pages of the New Testament. And it is a a mourning, it is a desperation, it is a wailing that expresses deep emotional anguish. And so tears dominate the early verses in this passage. First, I want you to see in verse 11 that there are tears outside the tomb. But Mary stood, verse 11, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped down to look in the tomb. Remember, she had run to tell the disciples, Jesus is gone. And she does not think He has been raised from the dead yet. The thought doesn't even cross her mind. She thinks that the thieves have stolen His body. And so she tells them what has transpired. They run ahead of her. She catches up with them, weeping, as verse 11 says, and then she stoops down to look in the tomb. I picture her doing the ugly cry, right? She's weeping and wailing and distraught. We see these tears outside the tomb. Then we see, in verses 11 to 13, tears inside the tomb and in the presence of angels. She saw, verse, verse, verse 12 rather, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have lain him in my estimation to run into a couple of angels the tears should have automatically ceased but there is no there is no hint of being astonished as she stands before these angels And so there's tears outside the tomb. There's tears inside the tomb in the presence of the angels. And then in verse 14 and 15, the tears continue in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around. Imagine being in the tomb. She's talking to these angels. This this is a wild story. She's talking to the angels. She turns around And there, in her presence, is Jesus. And Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She is so distraught. She is so overwhelmed with discouragement that she does not even recognize the risen Lord. In my mind, this is a, a fascinating turn of events. She comes face to face with two angelic beings who ask her why... Are you crying? Turns around and sees Jesus, the, the risen Savior. And because her, her eyes are, are clouded with tears, because she's emotionally distraught, because she's overwhelmed with discouragement, she doesn't even recognize the risen Lord, which leads to a question. And it's a personal question. Have you ever been overwhelmed with discouragement? Or better yet, are you currently overwhelmed with discouragement? Can you relate to this woman? Can you relate to Mary Magdalene who appears to almost be paralyzed by the grief that consumes her? Is it possible that you are experiencing a a dark night of the soul, a, a season of discouragement at this very moment? And there are literally hundreds of things that could be causing it. Perhaps it's a a prayer request that remains unanswered. You have been praying for a wayward daughter. You have been praying for a wayward son. You've been praying for a relative, a, a mother or a father, whether it's for salvation or victory in the Christian life or a health concern. And you have prayed for weeks and months and years And the only answer you get is wait. Or perhaps you have a relationship that has gone south. A dear friend who has walked away. Or you have walked away from this relationship. Perhaps it was sin in your life or sin in your friend's life that caused a breach in that relationship. And now you're not able to talk to that person anymore. And you are left in a position where you're overwhelmed and burdened by discouragement. Or, as I mentioned earlier, perhaps it 's a loved one who has died. a loved one has has died and has left you holding the bag, as it were, left with all the pieces to sort out, and you miss your friend, you miss your spouse, you miss your child, or perhaps a job offer has yet to come. You keep applying and applying and applying, and you go to interview after interview. And you're overwhelmed with discouragement. Your dream is shot. The future looks grim, to say the least. Well, I want to offer offer you several principles by way of application. Things that we can take from this passage. Things that we can learn from the life of Mary Magdalene. First, be careful not to miss the blessings in the midst of turmoil. Be careful not to miss the blessings in the midst of turmoil. Sometimes we become, we become so conflicted that we miss the blessings that God has right before our eyes. I remember when my family moved here and the first couple of months were rather difficult and the transition of moving here and, and uh, leaving friends behind and a church family that we loved so very much and I just remember one day driving down the road, and I was just feeling sad. I was feeling lonely, and I looked up, and I saw Mount Baker, and I thought to myself, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Now, it might have been because of the horrible weather here. I don't know, but I don't think so. I think that there were plenty of opportunities for me to see this beautiful mountain, and I literally thought... Am I so consumed with my own problems that I'm missing the blessings that are right before my very eyes? Sometimes we become so conflicted, so overwhelmed with sorrow that we miss the blessings that sit right in front of us. Is it possible that you're missing a gracious gift that God intends to give just for you, but the circumstances have blinded you to that special gift? Secondly, Be careful not to miss the truth who stands right in front of you. Be careful not to miss the truth who stands right in front of you. How many times has Jesus offered help, but you refused to receive it? In this narrative, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, communicating with Mary Magdalene, and she thinks he's the gardener. Be careful not to miss the truth who stands before you. Number three, be careful not to focus on circumstances instead of Christ. Philippians 4 helps us here. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Fourthly, remember... Remember, and this is something that kind of caught me by surprise because if I'm honest, I'm thinking to myself, Mary Magdalene, there's Jesus standing right before you. And and this principle kind of snuck up on me. And that is that remember that conflicted faith is a signpost of saving faith. Conflicted faith is a signpost of saving faith. We tend to think, my faith is not nearly as strong as it should be. Maybe I'm not saved. I would be willing to bet that the vast majority of this congregation would raise their hand in the affirmative and say, there has been a season of my life where I felt my faith was not strong enough. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. But the exact opposite is the case. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 9? Mark chapter nine verse twenty-four. Here we find this story that we don't have time to unfold, but we have a man who is wrestling with the circumstances in his life, and he says something very interesting. It is it is really, I think, what we tend to wrestle with in the Christian life. And he says in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said to Jesus, I believe help my unbelief. I don't know when the first time was that I read that scripture, but I remember the day it grabbed my heart. I remember the day it stared me in the face and said, steel, you wrestle with conflicted faith. And this is what's happening in your heart. It's just like what's happened in this man. Jesus, I believe I trust in you, but I wrestle believing the promises of God. I struggle believing the promises of God. I believe, help my unbelief. John Piper's son, Barnabas Piper, has written a book. And he says a few words that I think are, are very appropriate. I want to read them to you. He says this. He says, you are stuck between your belief you know God exists and that He is good and loves you, and your unbelief. Under all of this, for those with true faith, is an object of our belief, that is, God Himself. So, no matter how difficult things get, how dry your soul feels, how broken down you are, you can look to God and pray and say, Help my unbelief. It feels like an admission of guilt, Piper says, like a statement of failure. But here is what's remarkable about that prayer. To pray it at all is to announce, I believe. We cannot pray that prayer, Barnard Piper says, unless we do believe. I've talked to so many of you over the last several weeks who say the exact same thing I'm hearing from this story in Mark chapter 9. I believe. Help my unbelief. If you're wrestling with unbelief, that is a signpost of saving faith. You see, if you were not a Christian, there would be no struggle in this area at all. But because you were in Christ, because you're, you're in between justification and glorification. Because you're on your way to the celestial city, you wrestle and you fight and you struggle and you yearn and you long for better days and you continue to say with this man, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so remember that conflicted faith, like the conflicted faith of Mary Magdalene, is a is a signpost of saving faith. And as I prayed for... Christ Fellowship this morning. I prayed for those who are timid, those who are weak, those who are struggling. And I said, Father, would would you send these folks away with a boost of encouragement? Would they be able to relate to this man in Mark chapter 9 who said, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Finally, remember that conflicted faith is only a step away from confident faith. Conflicted faith is only a step away from confident faith. Last week, I shared the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, and Johnny continues to help us in this area. She says this, Faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. Johnny says it's simply taking God at His word and taking the next step. That's faith. Faith. And that's a confident faith. And so in this story, we see that conflicted faith is only a step away. And it is only a verse away, you see, from confident faith. And so move with me from conflicted faith to confident faith that emerges now in verse 16. In verse 16, something really, really interesting happens. You remember in verse 15, Jesus looked at Mary Magdalene and he called her woman. He said, woman, why the tears? And then in verse 16, he changes from woman to Mary. He says, Mary. Can you imagine if you're in Mary Magdalene's shoes? And the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you thought was the gardener, addressed you as woman. And then all of a sudden... From the lips of the risen Savior, he says, your name. He says, Kathy Christensen. He says, Liz Benner. He says, Karen Holt. He says, Linda. He says, Patty. He says, Tammy. He says, Sidney. He says, Lacey. You say, look what happens. Mary. She turned to him, and Aramaic said, Rabboni, which means "teacher." And Jesus said to her, "Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my Father, go to my brothers and say to them, "I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God." The shift from conflicted faith to confident faith, I believe, takes place in one verse and one word when Jesus uttered the word Mary." Jesus, as I said, originally addressed her as a woman, but as he calls her by name, she suddenly realizes, and we don't read this in the scripture, but it's like, she says, I could have had a V8, right? She says, it's not the gardener, it's the risen Savior, as he utters the word Mary. Jesus is alive. He had been raised from the dead and suddenly in one word all the feelings that plagued her all the way to see the disciples all the way back the weeping outside the tomb the weeping inside the tomb were all erased. Her whole outlook was transformed. She was blown away by the wonderful grace of Jesus which fueled her confident faith. Simply put, this is a woman who was Overwhelmed, not with discouragement now, but she is overwhelmed. She is overtaken by the amazing grace of Jesus. Look as it unfolds. First of all, Jesus calls her by name. That is to say, Jesus knows his people. Jesus loves his people. Jesus calls us by name and Mary Magdalene, was no exception. Please notice the significance of this change of this exchange. As I wrestled through this passage, as I studied these verses, I came to the conclusion that if I stood in Jesus' shoes and I had been raised from the dead and one of my followers didn't recognize me, I think I would have been a little bit on the frustrated side. I think I would have wanted to say, McFly, right? Here I am, but what does Jesus do? He's not frustrated. He doesn't rebuke her for failing to recognize him. He doesn't admonish her in her grief. Instead, he overwhelms her with grace by doing just this. He calls her by name. Don't you wish you could see it? Don't you wish you could be there? Mary. He says your name. Mary. It's an absolutely astonishing reality. But Jesus doesn't merely accept her. He continues to overwhelm this woman with His grace by commissioning her. Number one, He calls her by name. Number two, He commissions her. He sends her out. And the only imperatives, and you do know that preachers are always looking for imperatives... There's a way to uncover imperatives in New Testament Greek, and I'm always looking for them. You know why? Because they preach. Imperatives preach. There's two imperatives that take place in verses 11 to 18. The first is found when Jesus says in verse 17, do not cling to me. That's imperative number one. Since Jesus would soon ascend to the Father, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 12, his command is an intensely practical one. Do not cling to me. But this leads to an even more important command. Look at it with me. He says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father to my God, and your God. Did you miss the imperative? But go. Number one, don't cling to me. But number two, and more importantly, go. The word go in the Greek means to move from one place to another. To go from one place to another. That is, she was instructed to move from the tomb to the disciples to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection. And that's exactly what she does in verse 18. Notice, there is no hesitation. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to her disciples. Notice she doesn't do like Moses did. Who, me? Well, I'm not a public speaker. Get someone else to do it. Notice she doesn't ask for any kind of of clarification. Jesus, are you sure? And notice she doesn't say, but I'm a woman. Jesus says, go. Go. Just like in the Great Commission, he says, go. And so there's no hesitation, no additional questions. Mary Magdalene simply obeys Jesus. She announces, verse 18 says, which is a word that means to report. It means to declare. It means to bear a message. And she tells the disciples, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene was overwhelmed by grace because of Jesus' personal touch, because of his patient posture, and because of his powerful commission. There are three important life lessons that I want to share with you in closing to take with you this morning. Number one, remember that Jesus has a special love for all his people. Mary Magdalene did not have a a prominent role, as you know, in the gospel accounts. Yet, Jesus chooses her to be the first person to be the witness and the proclaimer of his resurrection. Secondly, remember that Jesus finds great delight in showering His people with His grace. You see, Jesus meets all of His people at their point of need, and He knows exactly what they need. Whatever your hurt is this morning, wherever you are discouraged, Jesus knows exactly what you need. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves the crushed in spirit. Jesus finds great delight in showering his people with his grace. Finally, remember that Jesus finds great delight in using struggling and marginalized people. It has been said that Mary was the first evangelist because Jesus chose her to report to the disciples about his resurrection. What is an evangelist? What is an evangelical? Lenny Cannon and I had a chance to meet a, a pastor that I, I had never met, and I don't think you'd ever met him before, had you, Lenny? And we got talking about the, the state of the church and how how the word evangelical is turning into not so good a word, and how how some people, pastors and movements and denominations, are moving away from that word evangelical. And I must tell you, I think it's a tragedy. Because an evangelical is one who is an evangelist. An evangelical is, is a person like Mary Magdalene. An evangelical is a person who goes... An evangelical is a person who, who takes the message and, and and goes out into the marketplace of ideas. You tell people in your neighborhood. You tell people at your place of employment. You decide to go on a short term missions trip. You decide to leave forever to tell people about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're an evangelical. Other people say this let's not get hung up on labels. Let's not get hung up on labels. An evangelical is one who bears the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what Mary Magdalene does. Do you feel marginalized this morning? Do you feel like your past is preventing you from being effective in the kingdom of God? Do you feel like damaged goods? If you can answer yes to any of those questions, or even better yet, all of those questions, you are the perfect candidate to serve in the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus finds great delight in using struggling people for his purposes. You think about some of the people in the pages of Scripture. Saul of Tarsus, a Christian murderer, becomes the man who writes a majority of the New Testament, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You take a woman like Rahab, who's a prostitute, a hooker, who's found in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. Do you feel marginalized? Do you feel like you're damaged goods? Do you feel like you can't serve in God's kingdom? You're exactly the kind of person that Jesus is looking for to make a huge difference for his glory. So Jesus loves to use people with a checkered past. He loves to enlist imperfect people and see them move from a, a conflicted faith to a confident faith. He finds great delight in using struggling and marginalized people to make a massive difference for his glory in his kingdom. And Jesus understands whatever it is that you're going through today. It might be depression. It might be overwhelming guilt. Do you know that psychologists say the biggest problem in America is unresolved guilt? Perhaps you're just here and you have thoughts of of inadequacy. inadequacy. You have a a self-image battle. Jesus wants for you. He wants your faith to move from a a conflicted faith to a confident faith where you are a vibrant witness, just like Mary Magdalene, to the power of the resurrection. And so as Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, go, tell the disciples that I'm alive. So Jesus Christ says this to Christ Fellowship, go, get into the community. Tell people about the risen Lord. Tell people about the gospel. Tell them they can be free. Tell tell them they can be forgiven. Tell them of the great love of God. Or as the missionary said to me so many years ago, ask them, do you know the God of the universe? That's a question any of us can ask at any time. Do you know the God of the universe? And here's the amazing reality. It is the transforming power of the gospel that enables you and I to tell of its great, great power. Let me say that one more time. It is the transforming power of the gospel that enables and fuels our resolve to share about that gospel. This morning we've learned much about the faith continuum. But it raises one additional question for some here in our midst. And that is this. Do you have faith at all? Do you have faith at all? For those of you who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are on a faith continuum. Your faith is anywhere from from conflicted all the way to confident or most likely someplace in between. But the fact of the matter is, like Mary Magdalene, your faith is a saving faith. But the question remains, do you have faith at all? If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are faithless. The Bible says you're an enemy of God. The Bible says you're under the wrath of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and died that brutal, gruesome death on the cross where where blood flowed. And he was buried in a hole in the ground, and on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He did it, first and foremost, for the glory of God. But he also did it for all of his people, so that we might be saved, so that we might live, so that we might have eternal life, so that we might have the forgiveness of sins. The question for you this morning is, have I trusted the risen Christ have I, have I turned from my sin, and have I trusted Jesus, and have I asked him to forgive me of all my sins? One of the great Christians that some of you are familiar with, a man by the name of Oswald Chambers, said this. He said, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Can you say this morning, that's the faith that you have? Can you say this morning that I am on the faith continuum? Perhaps today is the day where you will place faith in the risen Christ and begin your journey on the faith continuum. I can tell you that my journey began back in July of nineteen. 74. And oh, what a journey it has been. Some of you are here this morning and your journey just started several months ago or a year ago. Others of you have been on the faith continuum for 60, 70 more years. And what a journey it has been. Has it not? Glory be to God. Let's pray. Now, Father, thank you for the example of this woman, a woman who had a conflicted faith, but emerged in the final analysis with a confident faith. Really because of one word. We thank you, Jesus, for the the care that you showed for Mary, the grace that you showed to Mary. And it's that same grace that you offer us this morning. And so I pray once again for anyone whose faith is conflicted, For anyone who is struggling, for anyone who is weak, for someone who feels marginalized, someone who feels like their past is holding them back. God, I pray that you would propel them into the future by your grace. God, I pray that they would imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ, somewhere during this sermon, uttered their name. Even uh, the small voice that they may hear that is uttered. God, I pray that they would sense your grace and your peace that you call your children by name and that you commission us personally. And so, God, as we move forward as a church family, give us a burden for the lost. Give us a burden for our community. Give us a burden for the nations. The nations that Christ came to die for on a wooden cross. And I pray that the days ahead would be filled uh, with excitement, the days would be filled with worship, the days would be filled with discipleship, the days would be filled with Christian service and evangelism, and that you would be glorified here in this little part of this community that you call Christ Fellowship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.